It's a privilege and a pleasure to be able to share the good news with you today as we complete our sermon series on overcoming negativity. Before we get started, I just want to see how many optimists we have in the room today. Let me hear an amen from all of you that see the proverbial cup half full. Let me hear an amen. Now, how many of you brave folks today might dare to say on this Sunday morning that you might have a tendency to see that proverbial cup half empty? Can I get an amen? Thank you. Me too. For us negative Nellies, scientists have told us that we actually have a human propensity for pessimism. We're sort of hardwired to give five times more weight to negative things rather than positive things. And it's probably no wonder then that our news feeds and our screens are full of tragedies and disasters that we just can't seem to keep our, our eyes off of. And to make matters worse, we have a tendency to remember these negative things and to hold on to them and forget the positive things. I can tell you the word that I misspelled in my sixth grade spelling bee Arctic. I will always spell it with two C's now. I don't remember any of the words I spelled right. That's just the way that we seem to be wired in our brains. The problem is that this can hijack our minds and it can be detrimental to our work and our relationships and even our faith. And scripture teaches us that even Jesus' friends we're not immune to this type of negativity. So hear now the words from the Gospel of Mark. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And they said to one another, It's because we have no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves and the fo for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, seven. And then he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, Still our minds and calm our hearts so that we may hear your word and your will for us today. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Isn't it amazing that after all they have seen and heard, the disciples are so quick to succumb to negativity. They stand in the presence of the bread of life and they're worried about the bread for their bellies. I need to admit to you 
that it was hard for me to write a sermon on overcoming negativity this week. I found out I got some bad news. I didn't get into the program that I had been counting on to complete my Master's of Divinity and ordination process. And after a great fall of completing my ordination exams and doing great on my midterms and having the pleasure and joy of my family last week in town, I got hit with this disappointment. And on Monday night, in the middle of the night, I woke up and my stomach was just tied in knots and I sat there for hours worrying. I worried about what I could have done. I worried about what I should do. I worried about things I had no control over. And I lay there in the dark feeling the weight of that negativity weighing heavily on me, weighting me down, wearing me out, depriving me of the peace and the rest that I so badly needed. I'm sure that more than a few of you have probably been in that spot as well. And I'm all too familiar with this knot in my stomach, that dark weight of negativity peeking around the corner of doubt and uncertainty, not feeling in control, not knowing what is next. I felt this as a new father, as a failing businessman, as a successful entrepreneur, and now on the threshold of my ordination. I like to think of myself as a disciple. I left my career, I moved my family from Kansas to Texas to follow my call. I placed my life and the life of my family in God's hands. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Well, here's the thing. That doesn't always eliminate the doubts and the negativity that might come in the middle of the night. If you're feeling me right now, if you know what I'm talking about, I think that we can take some hope from today's gospel story and what Jesus tells the disciples. These folks that have left everything they have, they've seen the miracles, they've heard the preaching, they've been there for the feeding of not just 5,000, but 7,000. And thankfully they seem just like me. In their excitement or maybe their confusion, they have forgotten to bring the bread for that next leg of their journey with Jesus. And I can imagine them turning to each other and John saying to Peter, Hey Peter, I thought you brought the bread. And Peter turning to James and saying, James, I thought you had the bread. And James saying, Oh, I must have missed that email thread. I'm so sorry. And Jesus cautions them once again, saying, Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And I can just see the disciples rolling their eyes. Why, why would you compare us to the Pharisees? And you might be wondering, well, I thought yeast was good, right? Well, let's take a moment to unpack this quickly because I think it speaks directly to the source of the disciples' worry and negativity. And I think it speaks to ours as well. You see, in rabbinic teaching, yeast is generally considered a bad thing. The Pharisees and the rabbis ye used yeast as a metaphor for sin. A little bit of yeast grows in the body and subsumes the spirit and transforms the self. 
This is why Jesus uses yeast in the metaphor of his parables to kind of turn this on its head. I think that this yeast is the germ of negativity. You see, in the previous verses, the Pharisees are testing Jesus. They're asking him for a sign. But they don't see the sign right in front of them. And before we are too hard on the Pharisees, how many of us have sat there in the middle of the night and just prayed, just let this one thing happen. Just show me a sign. And when that doesn't come true, how often are we to slip in to that negativity and that worry and that doubt? The Pharisees insisted on a sign when the sign was right there in their midst. Just as the disciples are worried about bread when the bread of life stands before them. Just as I am prone to worry about the provisions for my journey while forgetting that Jesus has been in the boat with me all the time. Here's the thing. Negity is overcome when we recognize God's presence, even in the things that don't go as planned, even when we don't get what we want, even when we fail or others fail us. God is still present. As Blakely read the Hebrew scripture so beautifully this morning, we hear the song of the prophet that was sung by a people in captivity, a people who had been ripped away from their homes, torn from their land, subjugated and oppressed by a foreign empire. Things weren't going well for the Hebrew people, and yet they give thanks to the Lord, and they proclaim, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. And with joy, they, dwell, they draw from that well, that well that is so deep, that well of salvation, a well that never runs dry, even in the bad times. The prophet proclaims to the people and to us, you all, shout aloud in praise and joy, even in our captivity, even in our sorrow, even in our loss, in our pain. God is there in our midst. For great in your midst is the holy God of Israel, the prophet says. Even in the worst times, in the times of tragedy and trials, the Holy One is in our midst. Or to put it in gospel terms, Jesus is always in your boat. Even when you forget the bread, even when the waves of worry come crashing upon you, Jesus is there in the boat. Well, I struggled that night with my anxiety and my worry, and my failure. And I tried to remember those practices that we were taught by Kyle during our Sunday school lessons the last few weeks about taking a moment, breathing, giving everything to God. And then when that failed, I heard the song that we sung at the beginning of those Sunday school classes, a short little song, 
Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I sat there with that refrain going through my head, just breathing. And I fell asleep to that refrain. I didn't gain any more clarity, but I gained peace knowing that God was there in our midst, in my midst, right then. You know, Pastor Emily, every time we start worship, she says that we are in the presence of God, that we worship for an audience of one, because we believe that God is in our midst right here And right now, in our hope, in our fears, in our pain, and in our joy, God is here right now to transform us, to renew us, to restore us, to open our eyes so that we may know that God is with us no matter what. Isaiah sings praises even while in exile because even there the Holy One, the God of Israel, is in their midst. And Jesus reminds the disciples that God is in their midst. And although just like us, they're slow to see and they're quick to forget, we know that even death on the cross did not stop them from believing It is only our negativity that blinds us from seeing God's presence. May we be continually reminded of this presence in our worship and in our service and even in those dark, sleepless nights. God is there. May it be so in your life, in the life of your families, in the life of this congregation, and in the life of his church. Amen.